You're listening to WJHU Baltimore, the broadcast service of the Johns Hopkins University. Stay tuned to now as our all-star news team brings you the 5.30 report. listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to our next episode. I got to choose today's album, and I chose The Police's Zenyatta Mondana. It was their third album, released in 1980. We'll talk more about the album as we get going, but Abigail, where are we hanging out today? We are hanging out at Funky Buddha Brewery in Oakland Park, Florida, and I chose this brewery because we are very cleverly going to call this episode Funkata Budada. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Should be fun to make that cover. Yeah. So um, I've picked out a flight of four beers, and we're going to get started with the Passion Fruit Meringue Sour, and this is a kettle sour with passion fruit juice, lactose, and vanilla. Ooh. Lactose. Lactose. In a sour. In a sour. Well, wow. milkshake sours are a thing. Yeah, that's true. I think more of the milkshake. Uh, Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. So this is a passion fruit flavored? Yes. Passion fruit meringue. Oh, that's interesting. Real sour up front. Ooh. And then as it's wearing off, you can Ooh. taste that smooth lactose taste. Isn't that crazy? Very creamy at the end. Yeah, at the and end. And very right? vanilla at the end. Wow, that's but very But very good. passion fruit up front. Wow, this is really good. That's a tasty one. Very good. I do like a kettle sour. I don't know what makes it different from other sours, but... You know, you're supposed to do that kind of homework before we get on the <laughs> podcast, and uh, we're not supposed to leave with more questions than we came with. I, was, I find <laughs> well, that Well, we never know what we're going to order until we get here. Well, also, how's that uh, hop study working out for you? It's, um, it's, 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 uh, what I really need is like a, a tutor, a mentor. Oh, well, we'll have to look and see if we can find one. Yeah, that'd be cool. So while you're sipping on that, let me tell you a little bit about this album. Because the interesting thing about The Police, I came to The Police kind of late. I really discovered The Police. I knew of The Police during their whole career. Mm -hmm. But they had a monster hit when I was in college, Synchronicity. And it was massive, massive. And that ended up being... What year was that? That would have been 84, 85. Might have been as early as 83 now that I think about it. But they had four monster singles off of that. Oh, wow. And they just blew up as a band. In fact, that was it. That was their last album. They broke up after that. I don't understand all the circumstances. They have tried to reunite. They did a live tour years later. But what I found interesting about the band, so at the time that they were coming into their own, I was in uh, college. And I think I mentioned before that I worked at the college radio station. So I was in the news department. I wasn't really on the air as a DJ. Anyway, I was in the news department because, obviously, when I was in high school, I worked at the school newspaper. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, I was... As we've discussed as on we've the discussed, podcast before. I was wandering around the orientation. All the clubs are there. All the things you can do oh, on yeah. campus are there, right? The WJHU radio station had a table. And I looked at it, and I stopped. I had a good friend who was in radio, Chris Caldwell. We mentioned him in the Beatles episode because that's where we went and got him to do all the, the backwards reel-to-reels for us. And I thought, well, if Chris can do this, I can certainly do it. And so I stopped and I talked to him for a while, and it turned out they needed people in the news department. Oh. So I thought, well, that's fun. Instead of doing journalism at the college newspaper, maybe I'll try the radio station. Yeah. So I signed up, and like within days, my first shift that I got was a five minute newscast at 9 a.m. 
That was it. So I, I show up at my first shift, and the guy who's uh, on the other side of the glass, because I'm in the newsroom and he's the DJ that's hosting the show, is a guy named Andy Beanstalk. Wait, what? His name was Andy Beanstalk. That was his stage name. Not Beanstalk. Beanstalk. Oh. B-E-I-N-S-T-O-C-K. He was born with that name? Yes, he was born with that he name. He didn't make up the last name No, Beanstalk. no, no. Andy Beanstalk. And he was the <laughs> jazz DJ okay. that was on from 6 to 9. And so there I am across from him. And, you know, like I've got very little training. And he just points. And just like a deer in a headlight, I've got to read this five-minute <laughs> newscast. And it was scary and exhilarating yeah. all at the same time. Now, great thing about Andy Beanstalk, I have a lot of radio <laughs> stories I could share with you. I won't bore you I with the details. every time you say Andy Beanstalk. It's, okay, that's cute. It's cute that you like that. He'll get a kick out of that if, he, if I can get him to listen to this. By the way, WJHU ultimately became a professional radio station. It's the NPR affiliate oh, in Baltimore. That's cool. And Andy Beanstalk still works there <gasps> to this day. Oh, my gosh. I'm friends with Andy on Facebook. Oh, so, Andy Beanstalk. Stock, please but that was out. my first that was my first exciting day on WJHU. Now ultimately I worked my way up and became the news director as a junior and senior wow, for cool. the newscast. And one of the perks was, even though I worked in the news department, was they had a massive record library. Now, they didn't play a lot of pop and rock, right? It was college alternative at night. It was jazz in the early mornings. It was classical all through the day. Mm -hmm. We had a certain amount of news and public affairs we had to do to maintain the license, mm -hmm. the, the broadcast license. We also did the Johns Hopkins lacrosse games, which was super cool. <laughs> that is cool. It was a 10-watt station at the time, and it only broadcast within the city limits of Baltimore. So people would drive into Baltimore in their cars to listen to the lacrosse games because we had exclusive broadcast rights wow. of Johns Hopkins lacrosse. Bizarre. So as my career progressed on the station, I made sure to take all the lacrosse halftime newscasts because I knew that more people would hear me on that event than any other thing that we broadcast. Wild. So I was I was pretty cheeky. In yeah, that pretty cheeky. So anyway, long story short, I became the news director and I had this half hour newscast that had to be produced every night. So for years, I went every day at 4.30 to the radio station and coordinated a half hour newscast from 5.30 to 6. And it was the driest thing ever because it was all rip and read news. It was a bore fest for 30 minutes. Yeah. And it was one of our things to maintain the license. We had to do news and public affairs. So I went to WBAL one day to visit. I called them and I go, listen, I listen to your news all the time. It's never boring. I'm trying to figure out why because we do a half hour newscast and you could snooze through the whole thing. So they let me go over one morning when they were doing their morning news and watch them put it together. And I also listened to things like, well, what are they doing for transitions? Ours doesn't sound anything like a newscast. I mean, it did. It was news, but right. it didn't sound good. So over the years, I produced a much slicker half-hour newscast. And so the first thing I want to share with you is I have a clip from March 29th, 2004. The reason I saved this is because it was the day that we discussed the Baltimore Colts fleeing Baltimore for Indianapolis. They got a deal in Indianapolis. They didn't negotiate in good faith with the state of Maryland or the city of Baltimore. And they left under cover of darkness. They loaded up vans from the practice facility. It was snowing and they just left town. And everybody wakes up oh. the next morning and they're gone. So I have saved this tape Whoa. because that was like a very big deal in Baltimore that the Colts left for Indianapolis, yeah. 1984, as I said. You said 2004 earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm off by decades, right? I was all confused. I was yeah, like, 2004? I, I apologize for that. I meant 1984. So I'm going to play the intro into this. It's about a two-minute clip. 
the reason I'm going to play this whole clip is it gets into the news, but it's the intro that I engineered mm-hmm. to change the way this sounded. Ah. And it's one of the things I'm the most proud of is it is I wanted it to sound like you were listening to an actual professional newscast. So here's this clip. You're listening to WJHU Baltimore, the broadcast service of the Johns Hopkins University. Stay tuned to now as our all-star news team brings you the 530 report. like the Baltimore Colts are moving, or are they? And round one of the presidential election in El Salvador goes to Duarte. Good evening, this is Barry Hummel. And this is Vince Wheel with WJHU News at 5.30. The index of leading economic indicators rose 7 tenths of 1% last month. This is Thomas Baer, and I'll be back with this and all the other business news at about 5.48. And Bobersi apparently is trying to move the Colts to Indianapolis, though Maryland is not going to give up without a fight, and Jose Rafael Elias. I'll have more sports information later on. It's official. Indianapolis Mayor William Hudnut announced late this afternoon that Colts owner Robert Irsay has signed a contract to move his National Football League franchise from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Hudnut said Irsay plans to start playing games in the new 61,000-seat Hoosier Dome this fall. Hudnut, however, said the deal hinges on approval of legal details. For instance, the deal must be reviewed Saturday by Indianapolis Capital Improvement Board, Late last night, the Colts' gear was moved out of the football team's training center in Owings Mills, moving bands gathered at the site under snowfall. Yep, that was me. You it, sound so different. I'm, I think the tape played the right speed, but, you know, it's a thousand years old oh cassette gosh. tape. But the, and I, I, was, I couldn't even recognize it. I was voice. a lot younger, yeah. so there's that. But, uh, yeah, that was my uh, introduction that I wow. built. So did you recognize the music, by the way? No. That was Yoda's theme. So back when Star Wars was super <laughs> popular, there were these albums that came out with like Nico was one of them where they did these high energy soundtrack, like they played the music. Yeah. And that was, I lifted that Yoda's theme. If you go back and listen to it, you'll recognize Yoda's theme. I mean, theme. I would dance to that in the club. Yeah, well, that, that's what I mean. It was like this uh, kind of dance versions of the soundtracks from the movies. <laughs> that's so, really funny. so that was Yoda's theme as, I, as my news theme at WJHU in Baltimore. Wow. So anyway, I wanted to share that because that job that I had, if you want to call it a job, right, it's a college activity, let's say, gave me access to this amazing music library. They didn't broadcast, like I said before, rock or pop, but all those albums arrived because they were a licensed radio station. Right. They would get the promo copies of the albums. That's cool. They would get promo copies of 12-inch singles because it was easier to use 12-inch singles on turntables yeah. without having to change the speed. Yeah. In fact, uh, for synchronicity, there was a 12-inch copy of Wrapped Around Your Fingers, the one I remember because the cover photo was right, lifted right from the video with all the candles. I'm sitting in the studio one day, and the secretary, the lovely woman, Irene Chamish, who was our den mother for the radio station, she's taking in these albums and cataloging them, and I'm like, what is this? And she goes, oh, we get all this stuff. You know, we don't play any of these things, but they're all in the library. So I discovered that I could go buy these cheap cassette tapes and then get access to a ton of music to listen to. And so because the police thing was such a thing, I, I got synchronicity, obviously, and I loved it. And so I went back and did their back catalog. 
And so here's what I'll say about why I picked this particular album of the five albums they released. When they first started, when you listen to the production value of the albums, it's way more raw. It's three instruments, right? It's a bass player, Sting. It's uh, Andy Summer, the guitar player. Oh, my goodness. Uh, forgetting the drummer's name now. Uh, I'll look it up in a minute. So it's just a trio. They had a very raw sound, which you're going to hear. But it was more raw and sort of unpolished at the beginning. And I felt like with each progressive album, they got more polished. And they would add layers of instrumentation. The production value was better. The instrumentation was more complicated. The lyrics got more in-depth of the topics. And I feel like Zenyatta Modata is the sweet spot. It still feels like a raw album, even though it's better produced than their earlier two albums. But it's not as slick as Ghost in the Machine or Synchronicity. I like all the albums a lot. Yeah. But this is the one that really just was like, it's that middle of the bell curve where they just had enough of the raw sound and enough of the slickness and the songwriting was on point. And so that's why I picked this particular album. I think it's probably my favorite of the five, although I really, really, really do love Synchronicity. I didn't really know anything about The Police before this. I had heard a few songs. I had obviously heard two on this album. But I didn't, I didn't know anything. I knew Sting was in it. Right. And the only reason I knew that was because I was invited to a New Year's Eve party in high school. Good friend's older brother was throwing a New Year's Eve party. And he listed on the Facebook event, oh, special appearances from and like a bunch of like jokey things. And he said, the police. And I'm not talking about Sting. <laughs> so that's the only reason I remembered or knew that, that's funny. that Sting was on the police. You actually assigned me in high school, maybe even middle school, sort of a proto Pops on Hops assignment. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I was probably complaining about needing new music to listen to. And you were like, you know what you should do? You should listen through the discography of The Police. Ah, that's interesting. It's a short discography. It's worth listening to. And I never did it. Oh. <laughs> well, you know better now. Now I have to because I have oh, a podcast. You'll like them. You'll like them. And, and you'll find they're equally, like this is a quirky album and they're all equally quirky. They all have a bizarre song on them or a weird, they do a lot of instrumentals, which is an odd yeah. choice. And uh, and they're all kind of like that. Yeah. And the further back you go, the more you'll feel like you're listening to three guys in a garage. It's really interesting to see mm-hmm. their, that progress. They were one of those groups that hit the U.S. doing a tour where they rode around in a van. Kind of group you might have seen in a club a thousand years yeah. ago before they hit it big. And with each progressive album, you know, they always had a couple of singles. You know, you go back to those early albums is where you hear Roxanne and Message in a Bottle or off those old albums. Uh, But the real big singles started coming, you know, from like this point forward. You can always tell they're the police and they always have their signature sound. It's just that the signature sound gets cleaned up. Yeah. And maybe they add a synthesizer. That makes sense. Or maybe they add somebody playing a bell or something along those lines. The other reason I knew Sting was because he was in, in Dune. Right? Yes, he was. He I, was an actor in Dune. I recall walking into the living room while you were watching Dune, and I just remember that was Sting. Yes. On the screen. Yeah. And he had. He was trying to be an actor in the early 80s. He did several films in the early 80s, but I think that's part of why the police kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. I think he always had in his head that he was going to end up going his own way, and yeah. of course he's been still doing st- uh, solo albums, and his first few solo albums are um, all very, very good. So uh, before we start, the I guess you have control of the musical review today. I do. But I think we should rate this uh, first beer. And oh, yeah. I'm almost I, done. <laughs> I think somebody better get a pen out. So right out of the gate, I'm giving that one a four. I really, really like that Ooh, one. Nice. 
Well, you know, I like a good sour, and I would call this one sour. I wouldn't call this one tart. But what's interesting is the, the sourness wears off, and then you're left with these kind of subtle flavors at the end. There's a smoothness to it because of the lactose, a little bit of sweetness. And so it's like, I wouldn't say it's like drinking two different beers, yeah. but you have this longer experience with that beer. So I like that one a lot. I'm giving that one a four. I am also coming in hot out of the gate. This, for me, is a 4.5. Whoa! 4.5. 4.5? Same reason as you. It's like drinking two different beers. It's the perfect amount of sour because you only get it at the beginning. It's not hard to drink because you're not slogging through a constantly sour beer. It's it's different, very complex, and extremely tasty. Yeah, Um, it it really turns in the middle of it, so it's mm -hmm. really, yeah, that's why it doesn't... It doesn't hang there very long. I mean, it's there. Yeah. And it's powerful. Yeah. And then it kind of dissipates and you're left with all the subtle flavors. Yeah, I really and, like that. And passion fruit is one of my favorite tropical flavors. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a good one for me. 4.5. Awesome. Shall we taste the next one before you introduce the first track? I think we should. All right. So this is the Chardonnay Barrel Aged Undefeated Saison. Oh, my. This is a French country style ale brewed with grape must and champagne yeast. Oh, wow. Aged in Chardonnay barrels. Whoa. Now, as we know, you don't like mixing beer and wine. So. Yeah, I do. Well, the reds are Cheers. more of a problem for me than the whites, mm. but... It smells like Chardonnay. I wouldn't know. It smells like wine, yeah, famously. <laughs> but at least I don't have a new loss of sense of uh, smell. Ah, yes, yes. Because that was on the door. <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed in the brewery if I have a recent a, onset. A new loss of taste yes, or smell. I took a picture of that sign something. because that's very bizarre. Wow. It tastes like wine. It really does taste like wine. It really tastes like wine. I wonder if that's the grape must. (laughs) The wine barrels are some of the hardest ones because, again, I I think it's hard to mix the flavors of beer and wine. So I like this overall, but it is more like drinking. It's like a wine-flavored beer. It is. And if you like that, this is very good. I'm I'm plus minus on that, but I always try them. I I haven't decided if I like it or not. (laughs) I like it. I would drink it again. It's another one that has like it's two like phases, wine, but it's like know? has two phases to it, and the back half is the wine half, I think. The more kind of grapey taste at the front, and then that kind of aromatic, yeah, winey thing. Winey. Winey. <laughs> That's not a great way to describe it, right? But um, <laughs> it tastes more like fruit at the beginning and white wine at the end. Am I wrong on that? I don't know. I get a pretty maybe it's because I'm smelling it, but I get a pretty powerful. Yeah, I don't get the aroma. Winey flavor in the beginning. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna contemplate that, and uh, we'll rate that later. So let's get started with the tracks. What do we got first? So the first track is "Don't Stand So Close to Me." I'm gonna start about two minutes in. absolutely disgusting <laughs> i don't think they are um advocating no of course it. not of I, course I not. i was going to say this is why the, you know the songwriting is more complicated on the on these later albums by the police and this is a very complicated topic it's a really good song about a very complicated topic i just don't understand why you would write a song about it well i don't know maybe it was trying he was trying to make a statement about it maybe not such a good thing right 
I picked that verse because of the reference to that book by Nabokov. Right, right. I had heard the song a whole bunch, had never listened to the lyrics, had no idea what the song was about. Earlier this year, long before you chose this album, I was listening to a podcast called the Lolita Podcast, where the host did a close reading of the book and explained why every adaptation of it and all of society has gotten it wrong. And it was a very good podcast. And she talked about this song. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I realized, oh, my God, that's what the song is about. Right, right. The book by Nabokov. Right. Like, A high school teacher who's sort of lusting after an underage. So gross. Yeah, yeah, right. So gross. So you'd be shocked to know that this was one of the hit singles from the album? I am not shocked. (laughs) Would you be shocked to know that they won a Grammy that year for best vocal performance, I believe it was? Let me look at my notes. On this song? Best rock performance by a duo or a group for the vocal. Oh, wow. With vocal for Don't Stand So Close to Me. Yeah. And this was one of the big hits. But again, you can listen to that song and not pay attention to the lyrics and not right. have any idea what the heck they're talking about. Right. It's a really good... I like that song a lot. It's not I in like my it top too. three. No, it's very catchy. Not, not in my, my top, top three either. Not my top three. Probably more because of the subject matter than anything else. Have you seen the music video? I think I have seen the music video. The music video happens to be pretty cute because they're dancing through a, a high school hallway. They're in a high school, yeah. They're just having a great time. And the actual like subject matter portrayed in the music video is very slapstick. Yeah. Like the teacher's like, you know, tugging at his collar like comically, like, you know, like it's not it's not explicit or anything. No, I like that song a lot. You know, it's probably in the middle third of the songs on this album for me. It's a good opening track. It is a great opening track. Yeah. And again, you hear that kind of reggae sound to definitely. it. It's a little more produced than her earlier stuff, but you hear the reggae beat. Definitely. So it's definitely their signature sound. All right, track two is Driven to Tears. in my top three. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Because of the music itself or because of the topic? Because of the music itself. I love the bass line. Mm-hmm. I think yep. it has a great rhythm. It's just a really fun song. A lot of distortion on the guitar, which is fun. And I like that it's kind of a uniquely structured song in that there's not a real chorus. He says, driven to tears twice. And that's the chorus. Yeah, right, right, right. So it sort of always leaves you wanting more right so you keep listening to the song i just really like it i find this to be a very deep song about kind of man's indifference to the planet oh the lyrics i chose were in the part you didn't play Mm -hmm. hide my face in my hands shame wells in my throat my comfortable existence is reduced to a shallow meaningless party seems that when some innocent die all we can offer them is a page on some magazine too many cameras and not enough food because this is what we've seen so it also kind of addresses the oversaturation of media. Now, this song was written in 1980. We barely had CNN, if I'm remembering right, in <laughs> 1980. 
you know, now this kind of 24-hour news cycle, things will happen and they'll beat it to death on the news. And uh, could this happen to you? You know, that kind of stuff. And this point about uh, too many cameras and not enough food, I really take to heart. I found the word economy in these lyrics to be great. The songs are about more complicated topics than a lot of their older songs were. I agree with you. The songs do seem to be about more complicated topics, but the lyrics themselves are very simple. That's what I mean. There's no metaphor. They say exactly what they mean. Yeah, but a line like too many cameras and not enough food is a really smart list. Simple lyrics. Yeah, of course. You say there's no metaphor, but it's a really interesting point in a very short sentence. Yeah. Kudos for the word economy. Would you say they're more of a Hemingway than a Faulkner? Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. You're going to have to write a dissertation to explain that to people who came in for a music podcast. No, and people left, know. Left with a, yeah, pe- people know. <laughs> people know. By the way, I don't know what your next, when you go to the next track, I don't know if you're, are you starting the next, your next selection from the beginning of the song? No. If you can play it, the transition between this song and the start of the next song, just before we do it, if you don't mind playing no, the end of this and letting it just cut into the next song. Sure. two songs just go right into each yeah. other. They sound almost like part of the same song. Yeah. Like there was a pause. And I've always liked that about this that particular transition. So I just wanted to point that out. Very cool. And I think it's a little quicker even on the vinyl. Okay, so track three that we have already heard a little bit of is called When the World is Running Down You Make the Best of What's Still Around. So to me, this song sounds very disco-y. Oh, that's interesting. I think this is a disco track. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I, like, I remember disco, but I don't remember it. I, I wasn't a fan, so I can't relate. Well, I like KC and the Sunshine Band. Hats off to KC and the Sunshine Band. Never heard of But that. I wasn't a huge disco fan, but I have to give that some thought. I also think the lyrics of this one feel very relevant to the past year we've had in lockdown. Yes. Um, Because (laughs) it's all about the mundanity of, you know, the same, doing the same thing every day, turn it on the radio, turn it on the stereo. He hates the food he's eating. And it just seemed very familiar to me. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and he's saying, you know, I'm watching the same things over and over. I'm listening to the same things over and over. And it's funny because there's a lot of time, timely references in this song. Like he references in the first down, James Brown on the TAMI show. Or maybe he says the Tammy show, and the, I forget how he says it in the lyrics. That's a 1964 concert documentary. Okay. Well, now I know I looked that up because I'm like, what is the Tammy show or the TAMI show? You know, same tape I've had for years. Like he's playing that over and over and over again. And then there was another one, an Otis Redding song, It's All I Own. And so he's got very specific, timely references. And he even ran, I Run Deep Throat Again. It ran for years and years, mm. which is the classic X-rated movie from the 70s. I think it's from the 70s. So yeah, it's a poor guy just stuck in his house. Don't like the food I eat. The cans are running out. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's locked in his house, yep. right? stuck in his house. So you're right. It's very, very, very um, timely 
based on 2020 yeah. into 2021, right? This podcast has been sort of an antidote to that because I no longer have to listen to the same stuff over and over because every two weeks you give me a new album to listen to. Well, that's true. But I was thinking about how I listen to the podcast that we record over and over because I cut it and I listen <laughs> and, I, and I wait for your notes and I listen to it again. By the time it airs, I've heard it four times, right? Okay. And well, then I go through the exercise. exercise of listening to it the day it drops live. You're so funny. So yeah, it turns out I'm listening to the same things over and over and over again. Now, I like this song, but again, not my top three. Ooh. We're 0 for 3 so far. running out of songs. What, I think there's 11 tracks on this album? There are 11 tracks, which means we probably should rate our second That's beer. That's not a bad idea. Let's talk about the second uh, beer we've been uh, sipping on We've here. been whipping through the songs. So this is the uh, Chardonnay Aged Barrel. Saison. What was the name of it? Chardonnay Barrel Aged Undefeated Saison. I assume undefeated is the name. <laughs> Chardonnay Barrel Aged is a descriptor and Saison yes. is the style. So undefeated would be the name. Okay. I'm going to give the, I'm going to stick with my original gut instinct on this one. I'm going to give it a three and a half. I would drink it again. I like it. Middle of the road for me. You know, that wine beer combination is always a tough one for me. It just always is. And so I drink them. I try them. But I end up rating them almost all in the same range. Yeah. Like I've not had one jump out of me and go, ooh, this is the combination of beer and wine that makes the most sense. I like it for the experience of having a complex beer. But if I was going to have a complex beer around the house, I'd have the first one. Got it. So that was a 3.5 for you? Give it a 3.5. I'm going to give it a 3.0. For me, that's my minimum of I would drink it again. You know, I didn't come here to drink wine. And I'm aware that I chose a wine barrel-aged beer, but, like, I'm here to drink beer. Well, again, in our defense, we always try to pick four things we've never had before. Of course, of course. The boozy stuff and the whiny stuff, it's not really what I'm in for, you know? Yes. I'm here for the beer. Stop your whining. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That was a dad joke. Very much so. But, you know, I like it. It is complex, and it it tastes like wine, which is is impressive. That's exactly right. It's just not what I'm here for. So this is a 3.0. That means we're moving on to what looks to me like we might have a stout on the tray, which is a rare selection from Abigail. What's the story on the stout? This is a huzzah nitro stout. Oh, it's on nitro? That's what this says. Okay. And it is a creamy stout made with oatmeal. Oh, good. I do. I like an oatmeal stout. I do, too. All right. Here's to the oatmeal stout. Cheers. And you can taste it for sure. Huzzah. <laughs> Very strong Very taste Very dry. It's dry. It's a dry Very stout. Very dry. You, you, don't really, you, don't, you don't particularly like dry stouts as a rule, right? Well, my preferred stouts are the sweet stouts and uh, dry stouts. Now, this is somewhere in between. Because while it's dry, there is a very, very overwhelming flavor of oatmeal, yeah. which I like a lot. It is, yeah. And so this is one that I'll probably give uh, my initial gut reaction probably a 375. And I'll let it sit there and I'll continue to sip on it. But It's interesting. I think most stouts taste like coffee to some degree. The sweeter ones taste truly of coffee. The drier ones are more of a roasty quality, not all the way to coffee. I get absolutely none of that in this one. It's just a dry, dark beer that is very oatmeal. Yeah, the oatmeal is the dominant flavor. You're yeah. right. As it sits in your mouth, I'm, you know, I just took a sip and I'm like 35, 40 seconds in. I'm still tasting the oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah. That far out. Yeah. Like it's really impressive. It, it, how I think long. it gets more oatmeal as it Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like I'm now I'm a minute in maybe and I'm still tasting it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a time stamp on that? All right. Moving on to, I think it's track four. Track four. This is Canary in a Coal Mine. Uh Uh-oh.
played a long clip for that one. I wonder why. This is my favorite on the album. Well, guess what? Um, is it your favorite? This is my favorite on the album. Wow. And it has been since I listened to the album back in the 80s. Really? I have always, always, always loved this song. It's very bouncy. Yeah, I love this song a lot. Even yeah. before I really understood the lyrics, it was such a bouncy, kind of different sounding song, and I always gravitated to that style. But then when you listen to the lyrics and you realize it's either about OCD or some kind of mental health thing, I'm not clear what the person's yeah, issue is, yeah. but it's such a great song. And by the way, there's no word economy here. This guy goes through, he burns through a lot of oh words. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> that was what I was going to say. The lyrics are honestly hilarious. Yeah, they're great. And he uses all the musical real estate, as friend of the pod John Carroll says. Yes, he does. Yeah, it's, I find the lyrics absolutely hilarious. It actually reminded me of a, another song that I would like to play a little piece of for you. You know I live for these extra things. Yes, and this is, you know, this is my brand of thinking I'm talking smartly about music is saying, oh, it sounds like this other song. <laughs> <laughs> the patented brand. The patented brand. Sounding smart. All right, let's get into it. So this this one that I'm going to play you is called Salute Your Solution, and it is by The Rock Hunters. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fast-paced lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, I did that thing. I heard Canary in a Coal Mine, and then I started singing this song. Yes. Sort of made my own little mashup. Well, and I wonder if uh, they're exactly the same tempo also. Oh, like, is part of the reason yeah. you think that they're similar is because it's the same. <laughs> is that the same tempo? Yeah, it might be. Because I bet it is. I bet you could went back and forth yeah between those two songs how about that there used to be a website i don't know if it still exists anymore where you typed in the links to two music videos and it played them at exactly the same time oh wow you could offset it a little bit you could say oh this one start at you know four seconds or whatever right we play them and that's how i used to jankily make mashups in high school oh wow how about that i didn't know that existed yeah it's a pretty cool site saved me a lot of work in episode two yeah well maybe if it still exists we'll put the link in the show notes so you can play Oh right, yeah, it. let's go look at that. See if it's there. All right. So yeah, that's Canary in a Coal Mine. That's my number one pick of the album. So at least you Me know too. I'm on pace to have you know three in a reasonable time this week. Yeah, we're only on track five. Speaking of which, is called Voices Inside My Head. Oh, I got a lot to say about this one. Oh boy, I can't wait. for this song yeah it's all right i don't mind it i I like the style of it it's it's essentially an instrumental with him saying voices inside my head repetitively 
Yes, that's a good point. But there are two true instrumentals on right, this album. Right, 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 And this right. isn't one of them. So I, I put it in the other category, which might be why I don't like it as much, you know, because I was treating it as a regular song instead of an instrumental. Yeah. But the intro is extremely long, but not only is it extremely long, it's repetitive. So it's not even interesting. <laughs> well, that's why, that, that's why I don't think it's really an intro. I think it's an instrumental where... What I like about the song is, again, we're talking about word economy. What is this song really about? I mean, why would you bother adding a lyric to it if all you're going to say is voices inside my head over and over and over again? And so, to me, this seems to be a song about, a, again, another mental health struggle, right? Yeah. Voices inside my head. And so, I'd like to take over the dongle for a minute because I have oh. a, a lot to say about this song. Oh, okay. Well, and not just this song. So, I'm going to play a section of the song that has the only other lyric in it. I, I think I know. Okay, it's this section. Now, I, I wanted to play that for a couple of reasons. One is, I've never understood. I always thought he was saying jump. That's it, what I heard. It could be jump or it could be chop. But let's assume it's jump. Because it makes more, more sense with the theme of the song, right? Voices inside my head tell me to jump. Jump, yeah. Not cool. Not good. Right? Sounds like a suicidal ideation thing. Yeah. So again, very few words. Kind of a complicated topic if you take that into account. But this was the first instance that I could find where they started doing callbacks to previous songs on subsequent albums. So this is again recounted in a subsequent song. In Ghost on the Machine, in the song Too Much Information, we get the following. Now, I know your eyes just got the size of saucers when I played <laughs> it that. It's exactly the same. It's clearly intentional, right? Of course. Okay. That's the first instance of it I could find. I didn't go back beyond that. I knew a few of these, and so I went online. I was like, somebody's cataloged this, right? Of Nobody, course. Nobody's cataloged this. What okay. I'm sharing with you, I did not find any source that lists everything I'm about to do. And so, consequently, I don't have anything before that, and I'm going to stop at some point. Now, on Ghost on a Machine is the following song. So now just to track this, I I played a song from Ghost on the Machine that was a callback to the previous album. Yep. This is the song from Ghost on the Machine that gets called back on synchronicity in the song Oh My God, Listen for the Same Lyrics. So yes, he recounts the exact same lyrics on a song in synchronicity. I think you have discovered a Beatles backmasking level conspiracy. Here. Maybe. 
So now there has to be one on synchronicity that we're going to call back later, and that happens to be every breath you take. Now, you may ask yourself, There's synchronicity. no album after synchronicity. Well, there is, you see, because Sting went on to have a solo career. Oh, yeah. And so in The Dream of the Blue Turtles, in addition to the fact that he actually covered a police song. What a great album name. The Dream of the Blue Turtles includes the following. Every sound you in the desert, every breath you take with me, every breath you take, every Every cake you bake. Well, yeah, so it was a tongue-in-cheek version of making fun of the lyrics because, remember, that song was such a massive hit and was so overplayed that he actually, you know, he was tongue-in-cheek, almost making fun of the song. That was the song uh, Love is the Seventh Wave from the Dream of the Blue Turtles. Did he stop there? Oh, no, ma'am, he did what? not. What? There's here's, more? Here's a song, one of the hits from Dream of the Blue Turtles, If You Love Someone, Set Them Free. And so, just because he can, of course, on his subsequent album called Nothing Like the Sun, he had a song called We'll Be Together, where he recalled lyrics from that song. Oh, my. So those are the ones that I could remember having listened to the albums, you know, when I bought them back in the day. I have no doubt that that trend continued. Why would he do it that far and stop? Right. I didn't have time to go find them. So I thought, oh, somebody's cataloged this, right? And I could just go on Google and find the sheet where somebody went and did all this. Nobody's done that. Oh, so that set so of stuff. have to do it. Now I have to go and listen yeah. to this, but I have to listen to the subsequent solo albums. I have to listen to Nothing Like the Sun. And then go listen to, I think the Soul Cages was next. But I have to listen to all the lyrics because some of them are very subtle. It's just a few words from right. a particular song. It's not like it's going to be this wholesale lyric. And they're musically dissimilar sometimes. Right. Like the one, uh, uh, the uh, I have to tell the stories of the Thousand Rainy Days since we first yeah. met is not musically no, the same. And so I have a little bit of homework to do. But I'd like to round that list up wow. because it looks like... I'm the only person that's ever really put that together, <laughs> really and you've got cool. to hear it, and so do our dozens of listeners. Oh, boy. Something, <laughs> a treat for the listeners. Well, that's really cool, Dad. So moving on to track six, which is called Bombs Away.
So going by the long clip feature of Abigail, I'm guessing you like that one. I, I do. It's not in my top three, but it's probably number four. Okay. Um, I, I really like it. It's the first one we've heard that has more specificity to the lyrics. It's more of a distinct story than some of the other ones. And I just, I, it gets stuck in my head a lot. I just think it's very catchy. I picked my third favorite song on the album this morning. What? Well, I, wow, I had committed. <laughs> I had committed. And then when I pulled my notes out to just look at them real quick before we did this, I realized, oh, I never did go back and do that, did I? And it was between this and what I picked for number three. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same position that's, you are. Yeah, I that's like sort this of one how a lot. I did. And the lyrics here are really interesting to me because I kind of go back in time to 1980, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, the general and kind of guerrilla warfare and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It takes me back to now he's talking more on the European front because he's talking about Afghanistan, which was the Soviet Union had invaded them in 1980. Uh, in fact, the 1980 Olympics, I think, were uh, boycotted by the United States as a result of that. Mm. You know, he's referencing that. But here in America, what that would make you think of is like all the nonsense that was going on in Central and Latin America with mm. like like in places like El Salvador. That was a big 80s mess. Mm-hmm. And it was the same kind of thing, you know, generals and guerrillas. And it seems like a really interesting topic for a song. Yeah. So, you know, again, a little a little political flavor to it. I wouldn't call yeah. it an outright political song, but some of those references, they're kind of timely too. Yeah, they they sure. kind of fall into that 1980s thing. And you know, they've never been afraid to write a song that was on the nose for its time. In fact, if you listen to Sting's first solo album, he's got a song on there called If the Russians Love Their Children Too, which talks about... Oh, that, uh, was a, that was a big thing. Yeah, and he's referencing Reagan and Gorbachev in that yeah. song. So he's never been afraid to... He, he did a song on... I think it's nothing like the song about the, the women in the white dresses. They dance alone, it's called about uh, the women who in one of the I want to say it had something to do with Pinochet his regime and they would dance with the pictures of their sons and husbands who had been disappeared by the government in these white dresses so he's never really shied away from political things but he always takes a different viewpoint of that this is a dumb question that we should have addressed earlier are they English they're from England yes okay no they're all from it well I think they are from England Stuart Copeland's the drummer I think I forgot to mention his name earlier oh yeah and I think they're all English, but if not, maybe Stuart Copeland is an American. But I, I again, now you made me kind of look something else up, but that's okay. I'll look it up. I will get back to you on that later in the podcast. Okay. Anything else to say on Bombs Away? I don't think so. Okay. Good way to end a side. It is a good way to end a side. Very good point. I didn't think about that. So Which now means we're flipping that, the album. Yeah, Absolutely. we're flipping the album. Flipping the album track to... Track seven is the opening track of side two, and it's called Da Do 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 Da 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 Da. So you picked the chorus, huh? I did pick the chorus. Okay. I like the chorus. The chorus is very bouncy. I like this song a lot. I do too. This is my uh, third favorite. This is the one I was debating with. Um, really? Yeah. You're going to say the same thing? No, it's it's up there. It's probably number five, but it's not in my top three. Okay. This reminds me of um, Don't You Wish by The Procession. Dumb pop song. La, 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 la. Versus. Yeah. Or is it? That's the interesting thing about the lyrics, because you played the chorus, which just sounds like a dumb pop song. And really, the, the chorus is a deflection. Ah. Because really, the meaningless words in the chorus is basically pointing to the use of words to control people. 
Oh. Right? Da, 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 da is all I want to say to you. Da, 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 da. Think of it like that. They're meaningless and all that's true. Right. But meanwhile, in the verse, you have something like, Poets, priests, and politicians have words to thank for their positions. Words that scream for your submission. And no one's jamming their transmission. Because when their eloquence escapes you, their logic ties you up and rapes you. So the point of that is that people in power are using words to subdue and control the general population. And they buried that complex set of information in those lyrics that sound like a dumb pop song. Because really in the, in the chorus, he's admitting they're meaningless and all that's true. I'm going to hide the facts from you mm. and just give you nonsense to control you. I read it totally different. Did you really? Well, that's how I read it. It's all subject to interpretation. I think this song is incredibly complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's why in the end, I gave it the edge and made it number three. Interesting. So I read it like everyone's trying to lie to you, right? Fake news. But I I read this as a love song. So he's talking to his love. All I want to say to you is these silly, stupid things. They're meaningless and all that's true because it's just love. You know, it's a feeling. The words don't matter. Yeah, except when you read the verse, it's got nothing to do with a love song, really. That verse that I just read is incredibly complicated. I know, but I read that as like, everyone else is trying to use these words in a negative way, but we don't need words. Okay. That's why great songwriting, like it's subject to interpretation. That's why it's like poetry, right? It's it's a very well well crafted song that's subject to a lot of interpretation i i that's why i like it so much because mm-hmm. on face value you go oh this is the dumbest song ever do 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 da 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 yeah whatever the title is right and by the way this was their other big uh, single from the album really yeah this was the other big single that's strange then that i had heard canary in a coal mine and not this one yeah that is strange i don't know why that would be unless it was just i don't know unless it was an artifact of you listening to it when maybe I was maybe it was uh an artifact of that. and i don't think i've used either of those two songs in a, a video of you kids <laughs> so there's not like there's a canary in a coal mine song floating around with a That's bunch of funny a video edit of you in your youth well let's do behind my camel and then radar beer that's a good idea okay so track eight is called behind my camel as you may have been able to tell this is the first of two instrumental songs on the album right all late in the game right and i think it's very interesting that they chose to do that the only other band i'm familiar with that sort of just casually throws in an instrumental song is cake and yeah cake does it this song actually reminds me of a cake song i'm gonna play a clip of in, okay. a, in a few minutes but i would like to i would like to hear your thoughts on behind my camel this is of the two instrumentals, my least favorite, and as a result, I made this my least favorite on the album. Oh, interesting. I like the other one. It's a little more up-tempo than this one. Okay. It's not that I dislike it. And I don't think putting an instrumental on the album is lazy. You know, no, I, I'm absolutely fine, I'm not. I'm fine with an instrumental. I, I do think it's a wonky sound, and I do enjoy listening to the song. I never skip it. I like it. But they won a Grammy for this song. as what? best. Yes. <laughs> I got to go look it up. It was like best rock instrumental. 
the I same didn't even know year, that was a category. The same year they won for best rock oh, performance wow. with a vocal, they won for best rock instrumental, and it was this song. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting. So um, I would have chosen the other instrumental. I would have too. That's what I'm saying. I like the other instrumental better of the two instrumentals. And so there's so many songs on here that I like a lot. It's hard to pick a least favorite. So this one just default fell in that position because I put the two instrumentals at the bottom just because the lyrics on this were so good. I wanted more of that. Yeah. You, you know, it's word economy, but yeah. I liked it a lot. I just think this one is a little more repetitive than the other instrumental on the album. And I'm going to play I'm going to play the cake song for comparison here in a minute. But I would really like to know the backstory of the title behind my camel. I just think it's like it's moving bum, 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 like it's lumbering. The song kind of lumbers and like oh, so you think it's literal like, like you're watching just... a camel's butt move. <laughs> Right. I'm behind. What an image. I'm oh, following man. behind the camel and boom, boom, boom. It's like this big, goofy, lumbering animal. And yeah. it's the music kind of, you know, with the bag swaying as he walks through the desert. Yeah. That's the image I kind of concoct for myself. So. Wow. Fun. So you want to play a cake song for comparison? Yeah. So this, this is a cake song that I thought sounded a lot like this song, mostly because of the the mood it puts me in and the, the heavy drums. And that's a song called Teenage Pregnancy. Wow. For sure, that so the, sounds like the heavy drums and the sort of ominous feeling to it. Well, it's sort of that boom, 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 exactly. Which was what I was talking about with the camel. The before. camel moving. <laughs> <laughs> In this one, it's a pregnant, a heavily pregnant yeah, woman she lumbering. waddling the same way. <laughs> How sad is that? Oh man! Now you may know the connection. Uh, I think we need to rate our huzzah. Huzzah. How many songs do we have left? Three. We have three songs. Oh left. yeah, we got to get the huzzah rated. And you still have a top three left. And I still have a top three left. You are correct. I wonder. Mm, We could match. We never play the match game anymore. I don't think we will, based on things you have said in the past. So, huzzah. Huzzah. It's, again, a dry stout with a strong oatmeal taste to it. Stay about the same as it's warmed up. I don't find it dramatically different now that it's warm. I'm going to give this one a 3.75. Okay. This is one of those ones where I wish I had more subtle ratings because I feel like it deserves a little bit higher than that, but not quite a four. I like it very much. I found it to be a little more watery, less flavorful as it warmed up. So I definitely enjoyed it better when we first started to drink it, but I definitely didn't mind it at the end. It didn't hit me with as much flavor as it did in the beginning. Oh, that's interesting because the the dominant flavor, obviously, to me was the oatmeal, and I don't feel like that disappeared as it warmed up. Interesting. So I'm going to give it a 3.5. 3.5, which again is a good rating from you because three is your baseline. Yeah, 3.5 means I enjoyed the experience of drinking it. So we have a very special surprise, Dad. Uh, David Collier, the taproom general manager of Funky Buddha, is here sitting down with us to try our last beer with us and also talk to us a little bit about the brewery. David, thank you so much for joining the pod. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Thanks for coming to hang out with us this afternoon. So the first question we like to ask is, if someone just came in off the street and knew nothing about this brewery, what three beers would you recommend that they try off the bat? 
great question. So Floridian Hefenweizen, it's a staple here. It's our number one seller. You can find it pretty much in any restaurant, bar, grocery store, liquor store in the state of Florida. And it's just a great introduction with South Florida being such a transient community and a lot of tourists coming in. What a great intro for Funky Buddha and the brewery. Hey, try Floridian. Nice, refreshing, crisp. The other two, I would say, is our Maple Bacon Coffee Porter, which really did put Funky Buddha on the map. And the third, I would say, is uh, another lounge classic, Bob's Backyard which is a blonde ale with mango and habanero. Oh, which, wow. Which there's a cool story behind that beer. Well, tell us yeah. the story. Don't hold back. So our founder, Ryan Sense, he opened up the lounge up, up in Boca and really got inspired in culinary beers and was really driven by that. He had a good friend of his, Bob, who had a mango tree and if you know anyone in south florida that owns a mango tree they're just dying to give away their mangoes yep (laughs) so ryan thought it would be a good idea to brew a beer with bob's mangoes and um, with the addition of habaneros we got bob's backyard and it's been a mainstay in, in the brewery for a long time and it's actually on tap today I'm going to have to go back and look at my notes because I, I pop in from time to time. And when you said that, I don't know that I've ever had that. So I will not leave the premises without having one of those <laughs> before the end of the day. That's fantastic. i got to tell you a funny story about the maple bacon coffee porter. So at a time, you know, I'm going back years now, it was the holy grail of South Florida beers. You could only get it the day of the event, which was typically in January or February, if I'm remembering right. Some kegs were distributed, but it was like a hot ticket. And I used to go to the uh, Brass Tap up in Parkland, Curl Springs area. And I went there like every Friday, like on my way home from work. So they had the announcement that they were bringing a keg and they were going to tap it on Friday, like a Friday night at six o'clock. I had hockey tickets that night at the uh, BB&T Center. But I went for my regular happy hour. I sat at the bar. I refused to give up my seat. The bartenders all knew me, so they knew why I was there. I was having this beer before I left because this was going to be my first chance to get it. And I sat there. I was probably there two hours. They did it. I had this. It was. It's a fantastic beer. If, if anybody listening ever gets a chance to try it, it, it's one of the best. And it was at the time the premier catch in Florida. And I enjoyed it. And then I had to like close out and go to the hockey game like instantly i wanted to sit there and savor the beer but i had these hockey tickets but now thankfully it's broader distribution of course i can come down here it's not the it wasn't a one-off event where you had to get high profile tickets but that's a fantastic beer that's a good call for somebody walking in off the street i totally agree and before i started working for funky buddha i was obviously a a huge fan and i clearly just remember opening day of uh, grand opening of the brewery which happened to be right around my birthday. So coming here to celebrate just a great brewery and here in Oakland Park and growing up in South Florida and loving craft beer at that time, just really weren't too many outlets, too many places to where you could get really, really good craft beer. No, I think you're right. I think this was one of the original places in all of South Florida back. We're going back eight, eight years or so now, I guess. The beer community has grown tremendously over the past eight years it's puts us on our toes it's like what's what's the next big thing that we could get brewing seltzers <laughs> which you're already doing but 100 <laughs> that's the i feel like that's the direction i mean people my age love a hard seltzer and so i i think it's great that you guys are putting out hard seltzers because i can go to the store and i don't have to get you know 
White Claw or Bud Light seltzer. I can get a Funky Buddha seltzer, and I would much prefer that <laughs> to any of the mass-produced hard seltzers that are out there. Just a word about that. It was a couple of years ago, I think, you were bought out by a distributor, which I thought was a good move to get national exposure. And as a result of that, the seltzers were advertised in a recent Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right about that? That is correct. Yeah, it was really exciting, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, to see a Funky Buddha commercial. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very family-orientated crew that we have here. You know, I've been here for six years, and the brewery's been open for eight, and just between our founders, our, our brand director, just everyone involved, our chef. There's just a lot of love, a lot of care. And just to see that exposure at a national level is insane. It's very rewarding and we loved every second of it. Yeah, I had already moved out of South Florida when this opened, but it has always sort of felt like our hometown brewery because my dad loves this place so much. We'd, when I came to visit, we'd always make it down here. I've been drinking beer from here since it opened. So to see it distributed everywhere is, I mean, I feel proud of this brewery. So <laughs> I have friends up in New York, uh, kind of craft beer uh, fiends. And one of them says, I'm having a maple bacon coffee porter from Funky Buddha. And to me, that's awesome because I remember how hard it was to get. And now the fact that people can get that, sample that all over the United States is fantastic. The other thing I like is that, and I've been to Breckenridge Brewery, which was a similar situation. They got bought out, but the team that built the brewery from scratch stayed and that's still their experimental workshop. They still get to go play there every day. And you guys have really maintained that here, that this is what it has always been. That didn't change because you were bought out. It's still the same hometown feel. And a prime example, this afternoon, our founder, Ryan Sense, walked through the game room here. And, you know, they're working on juicing some ginger. Oh, wow. And he is completely covered and drenched <laughs> in ginger. So the energy, the, the passion, it's there 100%. Well, while we have you here, we all have a uh, glass of this hazy IPA. Hoptagon. Hoptagon. So this is one of my favorite categories of beer, so I'm really looking forward to this one. So cheers, David, for joining cheers. us. This is fantastic. Cheers. And we actually released this during our anniversary last weekend, so. Oh, wow, so it's brand new. What else did you release new other than Hoptagon? So there's a good old favorite in there called Juicing Room. That is a imperial stout with blueberries that we aged in bourbon barrels. So... Abigail's taking notes. <laughs> it might take us longer to clean up the equipment than it usually does. <laughs> this happens to be very good. Hoptagon is very good. Very good. It's, it's really juicy, but no fruits are listed in the description. So I'm wondering what I'm getting that from. A lot of the flaked oats give a little bit of that, that juicy honey malt. Just also the, the hop addition to it gives that nice mouthfeel, juicy IPA feel. It's really good. Which, which the hazies are seem to be taking over lately. But the running joke is that the word double in beer scares me. Double, <laughs> double barrel age, stout, double dry hop, double IPA. But this is really good. It's not too strong. It's not too boozy. It doesn't drink like a 9.6. It's, it's really quite light, actually. I really like it. It's definitely hoppy, but not overly hoppy. That's a fantastic beer. That's what's so great about beer community is that there's just, what's the next thing? It's crazy to see the style of IPA really take off and, you know, it's really popular. And, and even with sours over the last couple of years, sours seem to be really taken off. And even with the seltzers now on board, starting to see more breweries do that. 
we're, we're looking to do something different with the seltzers and handsome and make them a little bit more cocktail style inspired and oh, cool. uh, which which we've done a lot of our beers and that we have the Manhattan double rye ale that's on tap right now so Ryan's a pretty big mixologist so he's starting to very cool introduce it to the beer yeah that's the part I really like is the experimentation that's why I like coming to places like this right so Ryan what any uh, any events or anything coming up our, our next one that we'll be preparing for is it's a partnership with the city of Oakland Park and that's Oktoberfest which oh, we wow. do next door at Jocko Pastorius Park so that will be the first weekend of October Last year, they were not able to do the event, so, you know, we're really, really looking forward and having that be our next big thing. And not only is there a lot of traffic for the city and at the park, but a lot of people come and come by to the brewery and, and hang out with us, bring their steins and fill it up with a nice Martzen or good lager and have a good time. Roast. <laughs> Any uh, social media sites or anything you want to promote so people can find you? We'll put everything, all the links in our show notes as well. We just started a, a new site on Instagram for the tap room. So it, it is uh, the handle on that is Funky Buddha Tap Room. And we also have a tap room page on Facebook. So as we continue to grow, it's nice to have that personal touch for Oakland Park and, and for the brewery. Well, I think we just have one final question. He's got enough beer left to answer it. <laughs> so when did you first hear of the police? Not the cops, the band, the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the guys that just drove by? No. I would have to say probably middle school would oh, be wow. the okay. first time. I have older siblings, so they, they were that able to help sense. They were able to help me out along the way. Anything you remember about that? Anything that jumped out at you about their music? 100%. I enjoy the band because they're able to just take rock and roll, take reggae, take a lot of punk aspects and, and really, really make it their own. And I've always been a big fan and growing up down here and loving Bob Marley and loving reggae music and, of course, rock and roll. It's a good blend, good change of pace to switch things up. Any albums that stand out for you? Any favorite albums of the... They or only songs. had the five or songs? Synchronicity. What is it? Synchronicity. Synchronicity yeah. That stands out a lot. Who could ever forget Roxanne? <laughs> right. For sure. Jim that I go to, we actually do a fun warm-up with the song Roxanne. So, oh, cool. <laughs> so we play the, the song in entirety. And any time that Roxanne is said, you have to do a burpee. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Better you than me. <laughs> I forget how many times they say Roxanne. Yeah, it's but so funny. It's like a drinking game, but a burpee game. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thanks for drinking with us and talking with us and um, telling us about the brewery. We really appreciate you sitting down with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome interview. Thank you so always. much again to David for sitting down with us. We're going to sip on the rest yeah, of this beer. We're not quite done. We're almost yeah, done, but we're we not a, quite we done. Had quite the head start on the, the last beer. And yeah. we got three songs to go. Mm. We'll finish those up and then do our, our final rating, I okay. think. Okay. So track nine uh, is Man in a Suitcase.
If I were a betting man, I would say that this is in your top three. Wow. If you were a betting man, you'd be right. Yay. Yeah, this is my second favorite song on the album. It's very bouncy. It's very bouncy. To me, this is the most obviously reggae-ish yes, song on the album. this is the, the closest thing to pure reggae on the album. But And I, I really love it. It didn't make my top three, but it's up there. Very good song. Really enjoy it. And I also like the lyrics in this one. You know, the kind of weary traveler set of lyrics about, you know, just why do I have to just go from place to place and live out of this suitcase? And I can't even have a relationship because I'd invite you back to my place, right. but, you know, it's a hotel room yeah. in a terrible place. So yeah. I always liked that story element of it, too, for years. And so I'd give it another listen and really diving into the lyrics. I, I, I remembered why I liked this song so much. So, yeah, my top two were easy. My bottom three would probably be the two instrumentals and maybe um, Voices in My Head, which is pseudo which is pseudo instrumental, you know what I mean? Intriguing. But not that I don't like them, don't get me wrong, but if I had to put things at the bottom, it would be the ones with fewer lyrics because, I, like I said before, I think the writing on this album was really, really done well, so yeah. I would have liked to have seen what stories could be told on those other musical beds that just got put on air as instrumentals. But yeah, mm-hmm. love this song, Man in a Suitcase. So moving right along to track 10. Track 10 is called Shadows in the Rain. kind of a long clip there it's not it's not for a good reason (laughs) oh okay all right this is my least favorite song on the album oh this one is okay yeah i think the vocal effect is very cool i think his voice sounds great and very interesting on the song the music is not as interesting to me it's like all drum and bass yeah very and i'm just not super okay i mean there's no melody right it's just it's all rhythm and then his voice is cool but I don't feel particularly drawn to this song. It's not a skip for me. It's still kind of like a vibe, but it's my least favorite. I do like the song. I, yeah, it's probably bottom half of the album for sure. Uh, I agree that it's sparse musically. Yeah. And so maybe less interesting as a result of that. But I, I, I don't mind the song. And by the way, this is the song that he covered on the Dream of the Blue Turtles. There's a jazz version of this. Oh, wow. On Dream of the Blue Turtles. There's probably a better version of I, this song. I probably would enjoy a jazz yeah, you, version better. You would. I think you would like that whole album, Dream of the Blue Turtles. Put it on the list. Uh, I have it on the list, but I because I wasn't sure whether I was going to do The Police or Sting or both. And I'm thinking I have so many other things that I may leave it there and come back to to it late in the game. I don't All know right. if I'm going to jump on it right when it falls into my sort of chronology. Well, you know what? We have time. I hope so. We're hopefully going to be doing this for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> Um, as long or short as that is? <laughs> yeah, I said your life, not my yes, life. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> or our life. Um, yeah, it was hard for me to pick a clip for this one, too. I had the exact same reaction on Voices Inside Your Head. Two so- Both the songs, I had a really hard time picking a clip because yeah, yeah, yeah. none of the parts of the song stood out to me. They're, it's all samey. It, all, the whole song yeah, is repetitive, yeah. sounds the same. So, like, it was hard to, it was hard for me to say, oh, this is the clip I want to feature. Yeah, there's no musical transition. It right. doesn't shift gears in any way. It just Nothing it just, about it excites me. 
Fair enough. So that brings us to our last song, which, if you're keeping track at home, must be in my top three. Yeah, that would be. And I'm all done. All my high yeah. points and low points are and done. And this so. is in your bottom two. It is in my bottom so two. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's in my bottom two. And this is the other instrumental song on the album. This is The Other Way of Stopping. So I like to call that one the front of the camel. I... <laughs> not teasing. <laughs> I love this song. Oh, it's a good song. I'm not I'm not complaining about that. And I see what you mean. Musically, that's a more interesting song than the preceding track. Yes. There's no doubt about that. As, as much as anyone can get an instrumental song stuck in their head, I get this song stuck in my head. But of course, there's no lyrics. I have to go, do, 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 do. Yeah. Which is the lyric of the first song on this side. <laughs> yes, I I really enjoy this song. And the other night I was speaking on the phone with my mom, your wife, and she went out in the backyard and you, that you were listening to this song. And I said, ooh, is dad listening to the police album? And she goes, I don't know. Are you listening to the police album? She had to ask. <laughs> she didn't even recognize the album. And you right? were like, yep. And I was like, I recognized it. Yeah, the other right. way of stopping. She was on speakerphone and you heard me taking some more notes for today. I just really like this song. It's musically interesting. It's diverse. It has changes within it. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Which is why it's a contrast to what you just said about the previous song, right? Yes. Yes. That's what I meant. It's musically more interesting than the previous song. It's a good it's a good kind of pump up song. I you know, as I do, I listen to this album a lot at work. A lot of the times instrumentals are, are good for work because they don't pull you out of the zone, you know, the work zone. This one be bouncing in my chair. <laughs> well, how about that? That's interesting. So yeah, I really like this song. I like the song too, but something has to go near the bottom. And again, That's you can fair. see why this one didn't, you can see why I picked the other instrumental over this one as my least favorite on the album. Right. Now, I think they should have won the Grammy for this one. Can you imagine that you release the other one as a single to begin with? No. I don't know how that whole rock instrumental category is determined. Yeah. I just know they won. Let's, uh, let's finish up and rate this last beer. So to remind everyone, this is the Hoptagon Double Hazy IPA. It's a hazy double IPA brewed with wheat malt, flaked oats, and honey malt with addition of Nelson, Centennial, Eldorado, and Galaxy Hops. Yeah, four different kinds of hops. Four different kinds of hops. And you know, as I was sitting with this, I, you know, I talked in the interview with David about the fruitiness of it, not the fruitiness, the juiciness of it. I'm now convinced it comes from the honey malt. Because it has a little bit of a sweetness to it that's not necessarily fruity and I assume would be honey. (laughs) Two things. One is the hops on this don't truncate as quickly or sharply as they do on a typical juicy or hazy IPA that might use a fruit juice. So there is a longer lingering hops here. It's not a bad aftertaste. And for somebody who drinks regular IPAs anyway, it's not something that, you know, you would notice. Some people might drink this as a hazy IPA and think it's a little hoppy for that category. And especially again, as it's warmed up. Especially as it's warmed up. Yeah. And, and that's because maybe, as he implied, there was no fruit juice added. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's definitely something altered that 
and it has to be the honey. Well, yeah, he said the flaked oats because there's, you know, there's a lot of starch in that. I, I don't know the brewing process enough to know whether the oats would truncate a hop flavor or not. I see. Um, the there's way also fruit juice does. A, a lot, of, lot sediment. of sediment. A lot of sediment. Yeah, yeah we're getting yeah. down to the bottom and it's, I've noticed that. it's getting a little freaky to you drink. may need a filter. <laughs> what would you rate that, Dad? <clears throat> I'm going to give that one a four. Okay. I'm going to give it a four for a multitude. First of all, it's a complex beer. Again, I'm not afraid of the hops that hangs around toward the end of that, so that's fine with me. You know, it's um, it's clearly a hazy IPA. I mean, you can't look at it and not. I mean, yeah, it, no. It's one of the haziest beers I've had in weeks. Yeah, very hazy. But it drinks a little more like a hybrid between a hazy IPA and a traditional IPA, is, and which is fine with me. And uh, a little subtle sweetness, which I assume is from the honey. I liked it very much. For completely different reasons than I gave the first one a four. And I only really got the real hoppiness of it as it warmed up. When it was still like fresh in our flight, it was just juice. It was a juice bomb. And obviously that was good for me because <laughs> the hoppiness is not my favorite. Right, right, right. Um, as it warmed up, it definitely got a lot hoppier to the point where the last sip was difficult. <laughs> well, the last sip you got to, because there was a lot of sediment in the bottom of those glasses, don't let the sediment throw you off your game. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give it a 3.5. 3.5. Okay. Because at least until the very last sip. <laughs> yeah, you enjoy it. Yeah. I really, I did enjoy the experience of drinking it and it was juicy as heck. Juicy as heck. Well, that concludes a great flight. Yes. And in my estimation, a great album. I hope you liked it as much as I like it. I liked the album very much. I'm glad I finally actually sat down and listened to The Police. Um, it was worth listening to. There are songs on this that I have put on my Best of Pops on Hops playlist. I will return to the album and a great choice. So thank you. Good. And I hope you do go back and listen to some of the other albums that they did. There's only five, so it's easy to get the entire Police Collection. Although there's that live album floating around, it's also good. Yeah. And the Sting solo stuff, the first four or five albums for sure are all worth a listen. You know, those early ones, Dream of the Blue Turtles, Nothing Like the Sun, Soul Cages, Mercury Falling, and um, Ten Summoner's Tales are probably the first five, and they're all very good. And uh, Dang, you just knew those off the top of your head. He didn't even look at any notes for that. That I, was off the top of his head. I have to go listen to them now to see if I can track the callback oh, lyrics yeah. in each of those albums. That's why I uh, have memorized all the titles, at least. Well, I think it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, which is where I get to assign you an album for next time. All right. I'm I'm ready. I think I'm ready. You've, you've been good so far. So, so. far. Let's, let's see if the winds will change. Ugh. So I am assigning you the Mowgli's. That's the band. Ah, the Mowgli's. Now, I at least know the name, the Mowgli's. That doesn't surprise me because I'm a huge fan. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's why I know it or not. We, we, we live 300 miles apart, but I, I'm wondering, maybe I've heard something from the Mowgli's. But anyway, the Mowgli's, Possibly. great. Yes, the Mowgli's. I know, at least uh, for the first time in this process, You've heard the name before. <laughs> I recognize the name of the band. The album is called Where'd Your Weekend Go? Where'd your weekend go? Where'd your weekend go? By the Mowgli's. By the Mowgli's. Okay. But I have good reasons for choosing it. Okay, great. As opposed to their other albums. Well, so. as usual, I will give it a listen. For the most part, I've enjoyed all the albums. Some of the some of the albums we've listened to have become some of my favorite albums of well, all time. Like I'm the, flattered. Well, obviously, uh, the procession is top on the list. Of but course. Thanks for the Mowgli's. The Mowgli's. <laughs> You're very welcome. I remember seeing the Jungle Book in the theater in the 60s 
the cartoon. The Disney yeah, no, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. My mom took me to see that movie in the late 60s in a theater, and I remember it. You know what I remember more than anything else? Ka the snake's eyes. Very creepy. When he was trying to hypnotize. Very creepy. Mowgli. Mowgli. So hopefully I won't be hypnotized by this album. Well, we will find out next time. All right. On Pops on Hops. You can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. And if you're interested, visit our website, popsonhopspod.com, where we have all kinds of bonus content, including extra photos from the recording of these episodes and all of the links that don't make it into the limited show notes we have available to us. And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. Please don't drink drink so so close to me. Don't drink so close to me. Please don't drink drink so so close to me. Don't drink so close to me. Please don't drink so close to me. Don't drink so close to me. Please don't drink so close to me. I think it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, which is where you assign me an album. No, you're wrong. What do you mean? I assigned this album. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to assign another no, album. No, no, I want to do mine. Okay. Okay, that's Are embarrassing. Are we cutting all that out? Yes. <laughs>